Welcome into the House of L podcast, episode 10. That's right. We have made it to the 10th episode in season one. I have made the decision that I'm going to break down the podcast into seasons, and those seasons are going to match the seasons of the year. So I'm going to do the uh, meteorological season. So season two will begin on September 1st or whenever I record around September 1st. Thanks again for your support of the podcast. The interviews have gotten a lot of good responses, and we appreciate that. If you want to email about one of the interviews or ask a question, houseoflpodcast at gmail.com, and I will try to get your question out on the next podcast, and we can talk about some of the cool stuff that has already happened on the podcast, and maybe you can even make some suggestions on different people that you would like to hear on the podcast in the future. Our show this week is sponsored by Melly Cafe. There's three different locations for Melly Cafe. Halstead and Jackson, right there in the heart of Greektown, Grand and Wells, and Congress in Dearborn. Now, Melly Cafe is more of a breakfast, lunch type of place, but the Congress in Dearborn location is open for dinner as well. And trust me, you will have a great meal there. They also they give us the gift cards for our guests. And it's always cool when I get to see them, their faces light up. They get the gift card and like, yes, I'm going to go get some chicken and waffles or I'm going to get one of the freshly squeezed juices or the crepes, which are really good over at Melly Cafe. This week's guest is my friend Ben Bradley. And we recorded this not too long after we were in a parade in Homewood. And we had a great time at the parade, like celebrating the city Channel 9 had been down there. So Ben and I, Ben said, why don't you come and be a part of the production pieces that I want to put together? And, and we get to ride and parade together. And it was great. We got in a car with Jason Benetti and it was fun to go back there and enjoy it. I was expecting, because what usually happens is when Ben and I get together, we have a lot of fun. We make fun of each other, that sort of thing. And we have a good time. Our conversation was pretty serious about the, the, the media industry and it was great to be able to talk with someone who I've known basically their whole life. I mean, it's, we met when we were 14, but ever since Ben's known that he wanted to do this for a living, he and I have talked about it. Now we're coming up on knowing each other for 30 years. And seeing that evolution for him, I thought, is really, really cool. So this is a, a long and in-depth conversation about media and news and some of the terms that we use in news. Uh, I think that you'll enjoy it. And Ben is an incredible storyteller. And you'll you'll find out that there are some great stories that he's been holding on to out of humility that he will share here on the podcast. And I appreciate that from him. Check it out. Channel 9's very own. Chicago's very own. Ben Bradley. How are you feeling about news these days? <laughs> <laughs> the news or news? News in general. general. It's like drinking from a fire hose, isn't it? I feel like every moment you can turn on the TV, turn on the radio, jump on Twitter, and essentially feel like you're being waterboarded. I saw uh, Maggie Haberman, who's the um, New York Times White House uh, correspondent, tweeted over the weekend that she's going to take a Twitter break. She'll still post her stories and, you know, check it for breaking news, 
but she's no longer going to start and end every day by seeing what's happened in the world. And that's a, a pretty strong statement from the New York Times White House correspondent. Now, I think for the rest of us, that might make sense because Twitter has become so toxic. It, it really does affect your mood and your tone and, and your outlook. Do you? I do this all the time. I wake up, I grab my phone, mm-hmm. and I check to see what's happened. And I, I've, I've been trying to train myself to not do that. But with so many things that our phones can do now, like your phone is your alarm, mm-hmm. your, your phone is your pilot, your co-pilot, all of these things. I, I had, uh, I saw was it Richard Deitch, maybe the the media guy from SI, and now he works up in Toronto. He disabled Twitter for the week that he was on vacation. Like, mm-hmm. just took it off of his phone, took the app off oh, of his phone. Yeah. Didn't get rid of his account, right? but that way he wasn't going to be tortured Succumb by looking the at the siren. Right. Yes. I, I, I wonder if that's something that all of us could, right. could use a little bit of. Like, we have to take a vacation from the news. Yeah. W- w- those of us in news, and absolutely should, but I think the public is probably better served by not being informed every moment of every day. And that, I realize that's a strange statement coming from a somebody yeah, in my line of work. But what I mean is not every breaking development, not every presidential tweet, not every statement and counterstatement from the Democrats is worthy of our attention. And when we become so drenched by by the fire hose to you know use that analogy a fungus starts to grow and it bakes its way into our collective consciousness and we start to think we start to view everything as an assault on us right if we if we don't agree with it or if we do agree with it why are more people not saying it um and it becomes this constant um i i have to i have to get involved in every argument. I have to share my opinion on everything. And I just, I, I think sometimes it's okay to wait till the end of the day and watch a good quality half hour newscast or pick up the newspaper in the morning and have a curator, which is what we all are in the news business is a curator to say, Hey, in this 24 hour period, here's the, the stuff that rose to the top. Here's what's important. Here is what will still matter a day, a week, or a month from now. On on Twitter and and in the other social media environments, it's just a regurgitation of information. And I'm always interested, not to ramble on, but this is, you've opened a can of worms here, which is what you do, Lawrence Holmes. (laughs) But it always interests me when... You know, the president is on TV making news, right? Say it's a news conference and you have like a hundred local reporters from Chicago and Cleveland and Portland, like tweeting what the president said. And it's like, hey, dude, you're doing the same thing everyone else is. You're watching it on TV. Unless you're adding value or perspective, don't jump on Twitter. This happens in sports, too, Mm -hmm. where in sports you'll have – and I've tried to get out of this whenever I'm covering a game of there was a touchdown. So I'm giving you the touchdown. 
but you saw the touchdown. Mm-hmm. Now, if there's something that I saw at right. the game where, oh, you know, the safety was up you know, 15 yards from where they usually are that adds context right. to what happened on the particular play, great. But if it's just – like the Bears tweeted out that they just scored a touchdown. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? So right. I, I don't know if, if anyone needs me to then tweet out that there's a touchdown. Right. It's a weird place that, that we're in because we are trying to supply information to our viewers, our listeners, our readers. But it's I'm I'm having a hard time discerning what is news now versus what is information. So if the the White House, for example, puts out a statement about whatever issue, whatever issue it is, I don't know if that's necessarily news. It might just be information, especially mm-hmm. if it's something that has been we've been expecting. You know, right. it, whatever their particular platform is, if we've been expecting them to say exactly this, is it then breaking news when right. they when they say exactly that? We broke the breaking news two days ago. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. And I, I I have and I'm, I'm trying not to put you in a hard spot yeah. here because I know that you have a lot of relationships with people around. But I've been tracking this for months mm. now. OK. Mm-hmm. 4 p.m. every day. CNN. Wolf Blitzer has his show. So Jake Tapper, Jake Tapper <laughs> yeah. finishes his show, and usually Jake's doing an interview or whatever. Like clockwork, shockingly, shockingly, <laughs> at 4 p.m., 5 p.m. Eastern, every <laughs> single day, there is breaking news. It's amazing how that happens, it's isn't it? really amazing mm-hmm. how that goes, how yes. that happens. And Wolf is in the same Situation room that he was 10 years ago trying to break it all down. Right. Have have we done a bad job of taking away the meaning of that term? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. What happened is some consultant came along or a bunch of consultants came along a few years ago as Twitter and others were you know, getting those young, highly sought after millennial eyeballs that TV was losing. And they said, well... Boy, if everyone already feels informed because they've been on the web all day or they've been on Twitter, they can check their phone. We've got to give viewers new stuff that they can't get anywhere else. And lo and behold, we got to tell them <laughs> we're giving them new stuff. And uh, that's why you see so much what I would call fake breaking news. And the it's, it's lesser cousin, the developing story. Oh. And I believe there's also the sibling, the breaking news update, which is an update to the breaking news, which earlier was developing. Right. Yes. And the the breaking news update, for some reason, isn't as developed as the developing <laughs> story is. You went to J school. Mm-hmm. You're, you're a an award-winning journalist. What are some of the ways that, as an industry, we sh- can start to combat some of this stuff? First of all, we can be comfortable in our own skin. We can hire people who we know do a good job of, you know, digging out stories, reporting them, and breaking them. I mean, remember when breaking a story used to mean, wow, this is new stuff you're not getting anywhere else. It didn't mean this is what the president tweeted two seconds ago. Um, Wait, th- I, there's just one more thing that yeah. bothered me that I, that I wanted yeah. to, to, yeah. to bring to your attention while we're talking about this. I hate that news and sports outlets report other people's stories 
without independently confirming mm -hmm. them. Like, it bothers me that we can all jump off a, a bridge of, well, CNN is reporting mm -hmm. that the New York Times is right. reporting right. this instead of CNN confirming right. and then adding something to it. And I don't mean to pick on CNN. You could put in anyone Everybody you does want. It. Look, the, the, the biggest... Um you know, the biggest uh, offenders in that category are the news aggregation websites. You know, your your HuffPost, your Breitbart. It was so interesting to me. Um, we did a story a month or two ago um, about people who were fleeing Illinois for a host of reasons, from high taxes to political dysfunction to feeling like even if we got a solution, you know, to the, the fiscal mess in Illinois – they still would lose hope that that, that we were beyond the point of uh, of no return. So we so we went down to Nashville and we caught up with a bunch of Chicagoans who had moved down there, and we spent the time and money and skill set to report that story. And then, after, like two or three days after we air it, our web people go, "Huh, it's blowing up again." Breitbart. Had you know, it kind of fits with their political mindset of you know the Illinois Democrats have screwed up everything, and so this is what happens. People are fleeing to red states. So Breitbart basically did our story by adding in a comma WGN reported, <laughs> and they did offer a link, but. Breitbart didn't have a reporter who went down it. They hired essentially a, a stenographer, a typist, to to retype our work. Wow! And that and that's not just Breitbart. No, it, absolutely. It's, it's it's sites on the left, sites on the right. It's it, pro it's, football it, talk. It's it's all of it, and that's because it's cheaper and easier to re. They call it repurpose other people's work than it is to go out and do the work yourself. Hmm. We've uh, drifted into some very serious water here in the in the podcast today. <laughs> so so let me lighten it up a little bit, and we'll we'll come back to some of these bigger picture issues. There was a point, and I can say this as your friend, where you were a little bit you had some misgivings about news and your place in news. Mm -hmm. How did you get over that? I got over it by telling good stories and it is amazing to me you know i think people who watch the news see you know reporters out there standing at, at crime scenes and you know talking to victims families and doing the latest breaking developing news update <laughs> whatever you want to call it uh and that stuff takes a toll over time you know i mean you 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 have a, a grieving mother collapse in your arms and you realize, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm holding a microphone and there's a camera on this woman right now in the most private and intimate of moments. Uh, and I think that that does take a, take a toll. And so what's been nice since I've um, started this new role at WGN is I get to pick and choose the stories I cover. It is the greatest freedom and flexibility. Hmm. Um, and so when I say, boy, you know, when I hear people are moving, you know, to all these other states outside of Illinois, and Illinois is the only state in the Midwest that's losing population. Let's go do a thoughtful story on that. That re-energizes me. We just um, spent a, a day in the old Joliet prison. It's been 
shut down for 16 years. This is where the Blues Brothers was filmed, uh, where Prison Break on Fox was filmed. And um, there's an effort to open it up to the public for tours. And so we were, I think, the first camera crew to go in there from a local TV station. And you would be blown away by this place. First of all, this prison was built in the mid-1800s. The inmates themselves quarried the limestone from across the street. I have no idea. And built the walls around them. And the limestone's the same limestone that's, that's used in the old water tower right off Michigan Avenue. And so the quarry, like, right on I-80? No, no, no. You're thinking the Thornton Quarry. Um, this okay. is a quarry right across the street in Joliet. It's now essentially a lake because it's been filled in. But, yeah, in the mid-1800s, they quarried, the, the inmates quarried that stone and built that prison. Anyway, uh, we, we, we went and did a great story showing how this prison, which has been shuttered for 16 years has just fallen into a state of disrepair. And, I mean, the paint is just, I mean, it looks like liquid dripping off the walls. There, there are old mattresses in, in the cells, a prison uniform laying there. I mean, it, it's like it just one day everyone went away. So it's a story we're going to have uh, in the weeks to come on WGN. And it's, it's, a, it's a guy who grew up here. I love learning the history. And WGN will let me have eight or nine minutes of airtime to tell that story, which is unheard of. I went, you asked me how I, you know, how, how you re-engage as a news person. Went on an honor flight last week. 92 Korean War veterans, eight World War II veterans to Washington, D.C. It's a story, you know, that's been reported before. So I'm not breaking new ground here. But not just as a reporter, but as a human being to spend 16 hours the hundred veterans and hearing their stories and seeing what they've overcome and then sharing that with an audience, boy, that's the best feeling in the world. You were talking about those days where you would be in front of a grieving mother or a grieving relative. What's that like? Like covering those stories, crime stories, Mm -hmm. What's that like from a, a local perspective, and how hard is it? You know, I, I it, it, it's emotional, it's awkward, it's uncomfortable, sometimes it's unsafe. Um, and I think as a reporter, uh, you just have to do it respectfully, which means, you know, a lot of families want people to know their loved one's story. They want this per they want to share a photo because, that they say, hey, this this wasn't just some other shooting in Chicago, you know, some other alleged gang member, as the police, you know, might say. You know, this was a real person with loved ones and relatives. And so I think in those scenarios where a lot of times you have families that, that say, no, we want to talk to you. We want people outside of our block and outside of our neighborhood to know what happened here. Um, and, you know, so that's, that's, that's how you do it. You do it respectfully. Um, you always say, you know, if they don't want to talk, I absolutely understand. Uh, and, the, and there are a lot of great, caring, thoughtful reporters in this town who handle it exactly like that. And that's, I think that is what is so special about Chicago and only a handful of other um, 
television markets is people don't come to Chicago to be a reporter in this town because, you know, they just want to move up the, the, the career ladder. There are a bunch of people like you and me who grew up here every single day. We can't believe we have the honor of, of, of you know, working alongside people that we watched and admired growing up. And so that is an extra incentive to, to, to be sensitive and to remember that it's about much more than just a one-day story. What's the moment where you're like, I don't know if I can do this? If, 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 if you had one of those moments covering a crime story or death story where you walked away and felt like, wow, this is, mm-hmm. this is not necessarily what I want to be doing. I don't think I've ever questioned wanting to be a journalist because Lawrence, you and I have known each other <laughs> way too long. 30 years. Yeah, 30 years. Almost 30 years now. Yeah, and I was, you know, I was that dork in high school who you know, knew from a very early age that I wanted to not only be a reporter, but I wanted to be a TV reporter. But, but what's interesting to me as someone who's had the opportunity to watch this up close I think that when you know, when we're kids, we see it as something that it's not. And I, I think there is some disillusionment that, that mm-hmm. comes with doing the job and doing it at, at, at the highest level. In any business, though. At, I, you know, if you're a kid who played ball and then all of a sudden you get to you know, play for the Bulls, you're going to be bugged by you know, team politics or management. A hundred percent. But... I'm not saying that I like saw like the light in your eye go out, but there was a time where it was it was hard. Like in and being, I would imagine having talked to other reporters that have done this, that those are the moments that are the hardest. That it's not covering politics necessarily. Right. Right. It's it's not covering like a a human interest story. It's being out on the corner of 71st and Halstead, mm-hmm. and 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 being with a family who has just lost a loved one or a neighborhood that is in upheaval because they fi- they feel like they're not being policed mm-hmm. correctly. Like, I, I always wonder how, because you know how it is. They say sports is the toy department, even though we have some pretty fairly yeah. serious stories in sports too. Right. But how reporters walk away from that the day of, the next mm-hmm. day, like how long does that stuff linger? It, especially when it's kids. You know, it's like... It, it, it's like any other story. What grabs you? You know, it's when you can relate. When you you have a kid the same age. When when um when you feel like you're not making a difference anymore. Um, and so I think you know you. I never got disillusioned with journalism. I got um the the schedule is really hard. You know, I was working nights and then getting up at 3 a.m. on the weekends to go to work. And I had three little kids and, you know, all that stuff kind of takes a toll. Um, and like anybody, you know, you want to be doing good work. And if I could tell you a quick story that I, ha- I haven't shared yet um, about those moments where, you know, the world is pretty good. And sometimes the local stories that we, we cover matter. It was this week I had, I had, two families who I met through stories that we did. So the first um, is Kelly O'Loughlin, who was a uh, freshman at Lyons Township High School out in LaGrange, and she was murdered several years ago. She came home from school and interrupted a burglar. 
and I met her family um, over the course of the trial, and we've stayed in touch. Just incredibly strong parents. And then two or three years ago, I did a story about a homeless family in Chicago. And two daughters and a son, uh, Gabrielle Burgundy and Tristan, and uh, Tristan is my oldest son's age. And we profiled this family, and, and a Channel 7 viewer stepped up and helped them out, gave them an apartment for a year. And the mom, Latoya, is incredible. She has worked very hard. This family is now on its feet. She's working full-time. Kids are doing great. And this week, uh, the O'Loughlins, who didn't know the Ellis's, we, we, I happened to say, oh, I was talking to Tristan's family. He'd love to go to summer camp. How can we make that happen? And the O'Loughlins said, Kelly used to love Camp Tecumseh. And we, every year we have one spot that our foundation pays for. And so Tristan's going to summer camp. So there's two families who didn't know each other. They were connected by tough events. Uh, I was able to share both their stories. And, and uh, it was pretty special. So Tristan actually slept over at our house last night. He's still at our house right now. <laughs> Is he really? Yeah, because we had a whole, whole little thing, uh, make sure he had everything he needed to go to camp and was excited about it. And and that's just, you know, that's those are, I think, the moments that restore your faith in humanity. And back to what we started talking about at the beginning of this, when all you're doing is consuming the back and forth in the latest outrage, you're never—it's not representative of real life. It's not representative of our lives. And, and so that's why I, I, I think you've got to take time for the other stories. You know, Erin Ivory uh, at WGN calls her, she's a feature reporter for our afternoon for our 4 p.m. news. She calls herself, she calls her stories uh, the, big, the littlest big stories. I mean, they're stories that frankly wouldn't make it on a lot of other newscasts because they're too busy doing breaking, developing, all this other stuff. And WGN does a great job of representing Chicago and showing that there is a great, big, diverse community out there that is newsworthy for a whole bunch of non-news reasons. I keep wondering if what we're seeing is the 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 whole industry kind of moved towards national international national international and if we're seeing the pendulum swing back to hyper local mm-hmm. that that everyone locally has wanted to cover a presidential election or what's going mm-hmm. on in in the Russia probe or whatever and maybe the way to gain some of that back is that there are incredible stories usually right outside your door mm-hmm. and we've stopped telling those stories. Now, some of that is from a, a financial and economic standpoint. Right. There aren't as many newspapers, and mm-hmm. newspapers are... I wonder if the way to save, or at least for the, the the industry to save itself, is to go back to the beginning of servicing the customers that are closest to you. Right. Yeah. You're not going to get more people to watch a local newscast or listen to a local radio station repackaging what happened in Cleveland. It's got to be local, 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 but that costs money and requires a commitment. It's a hard thing for, yeah. for, for people to do. And frankly, it requires a discerning audience. 
And that gets back to the whole point about our audiences need to do a better job of identifying, you know, what is real, what is helpful to the community and supporting those outlets. I, I know you, you had a great um, video on Twitter a few weeks ago about staff changes uh, in local radio and people who were upset. It's easy for them to, you know, send off a tweet saying, oh, I'm, I'm pissed that this person's no longer with us. And you said, don't just tweet about it. Support them. Find their podcast. Listen to them. It's a, it's a big thing for me, mainly because the person that that angry tweet is intended for isn't seeing it. So if, if, <laughs> if your idea is, well, I'm going to tell the station manager or the program director how upset I am, they're not reading that tweet. Who's reading that tweet is the the 25-year-old who handles social media, and they're being bombarded with that. Now, maybe they take that information to the decision makers, but it's rare that that type of change happens on that level. And and what I, what I hope for by even putting that out is to let people know that because of how many ways media is evolving right now, that there's the opportunity for you to – it can be a la carte. You mm-hmm. can pick and choose how, how you spend your day. And, but, but it means changing habits. And changing habits are really, really hard. Any programmer will tell you that, that it's hard to get someone who is loyal to Channel 2 to flip them over to watch right. Channel 7. So how do you go about doing that? My whole thing is that now I, I like to use the analogy of you can now be a 80s or 90s rapper. You can now sell your CD or your tape out of the trunk of your mm-hmm. car. You can be, that's what Ludacris did to, yeah. to get famous. Yeah. We can be that now. We can be our own media company. So I get that people have their routine. And the routine is, well, I'm in the car. I listen to this radio station at this time right. every day. But if, if you're not happy with what the radio station has done, and most people don't even think about this. I know that we do because we're in the business. If you don't have a meter, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter yeah. all that much. You can say, oh, I'm not going to watch Channel 9. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. That's not measured. As, as, as much as people think, and we do appreciate, like, if I always love when I hear the stories of the person that, I love you guys so much. I want you to do well in ratings. I leave the radio on all day (laughs) with my cat or my dog at home. I leave the TV on all day. But if you don't have a meter, you won't be able to have as much impact as you think. So I I just want people to support others that are trying to do things. If you love – to me, it's like um, a recording artist. If you love that artist – and that artist all of a sudden is kicked off of that major record label, that doesn't mean that you no longer love the artist. <laughs> right. If the artist is playing a show in your town, go see the show. Yep. Go su- you can support the artist directly. I feel like it's it's become like my revolutionary cause yes. now. You should see him. He's waving a flag right now with a musket. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> Crazy. It's true though. Yeah, it's true that that people can. You're gonna bring out the bugle in a minute. I I might as well. Like, <laughs> but I just I wish more people would appreciate that they have so much more power than they think. It's just about harnessing that power. You can you can you can make someone popular enough that they end up 
on your whatever favorite right. platform, or they can end up creating a platform and you can share that platform and you can enjoy them in their most honest and rawest version, if that makes any sense. My name is Lawrence Holmes, and I'm running for president. <laughs> <laughs> or alderman or whatever. Yeah. Dog catcher. Let me start with alderman of the 20th ward, and then, then maybe we'll, we'll move up from there. <laughs> but I'm, I'm super passionate about that. Like, that's yeah. our – my 20 years at this radio station at The Score and tw- I guess tw- technically 25 years in broadcasting, I've become very passionate about that, not just for my own project, not just for right. this thing, but for others that are out there that are putting out great material and people being like, well, I, I, where can I see it? Mm-hmm. It's right there. Like they follow that person we on Twitter. We live in an on-demand yes. world. Yep. You have it. <laughs> and what frustrates me so much in news is when people don't use the, the analytical tools that they use in every other aspect of their life to make smart choices. Choose reliably. Don't share stuff that's not true and then go, oops. Now more than ever, it's incumbent on people to be educated consumers. I agree. How are you liking the show with you and Lourdes? <laughs> she's great. She she's really awesome. is. She's, she's awesome. She's, she, Lourdes, I, I've been lucky, as you have been, to work with some pretty great people over the years. I mean, I, the hardest thing about leaving Channel 7 and going to WGN was I grew up with those people. You know, I was, I was single and no kids, and I started at Channel 7, and I love all of those people. Um, Chuck Gowdy is an incredible mentor. You know, Ron and Kathy, Paul Meinke, the behind-the-scenes producers. It's, they're all great. And then you you leave and you go to this other place and you know you know you know them from the street a little bit. I'm amazed after a year and a half how comfortable it feels. WGN is staffed by just just, just this great, fun, funny group of people who do their thing every day and are totally comfortable in their skin. Proof of that: watch the morning show. You know that doesn't happen. Any place else in Chicago or in the country. You know, you have other people try to do it, try to be the goofy morning show. Nobody does it like GN. How how do they how have they developed that? Is it is it the just the personalities themselves? Or because it is unique. Mm-hmm. Why is it so unique? You know, I, I think in and again, I'm a kind of an outside observer of it, but I I'm so impressed that show is powered by the on-air team and off-air team who are allowed to just do their thing. And and you got to give credit to management because the stuff they do, A, would never get a consultant's approval. You know, if you send it up the flagpole, uh, well, let's discuss it with corporate and the, the vice president of the station group to figure out, you know, blah, blah, blah. It, that would never work. But management, our news director, uh, on on up and down, has said, hey, we've got a good thing here from people who have been here for 20 years. They've grown up together. That show is them. You know, Larry and Robin and, 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 and our management is, you know, I think willing to say, hey, yeah, sometimes it goes a little too far and we'll admit it when it does and, you know, fix it. And, but, but they're given a lot of freedom and a lot of trust. And I think uh, one of the kind of newsroom jokes from people on the morning show is, is 
people w- would be stunned at how much work it takes, <laughs> you know, to appear that that stupid, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, like, I mean, it's just, it's great. And so back to your question about Lourdes. You know, she, she spent time on that morning show. Lourdes is so comfortable in her skin. Um, she's a great person who deeply cares about Chicago. She mentors a school. Heck, you were her RA at DePaul. A I long mean. time ago. <laughs> she's, but I, I, I will say that there is a consistency of her character that mm-hmm. extends all the way back to her being a freshman at DePaul. What a beautiful way to phrase it, a consistency of character. It it is. It's true. And when it comes across, I think it comes across on air in the way that that she tells stories. And I feel the same way about you, that you being genuinely interested in Chicago Mm -hmm. and caring about telling the story of Chicago, I think comes across. I think I think that this you're one of the better storytellers. Like Thank every you. time I see one of your your teases, I'm like, that seems fun. <laughs> it's like I saw I saw the the story with the mobster. Yeah, where you're looking you're looking. It's like the old Geraldo <laughs> show where you're actually getting information. What was that like? And I'm kind of like, okay, I'm sitting here with a mobster. His dad was a hitman. Right. <laughs> he was an enforcer. And I yeah, and I'm because I'm just like you. I'm a kid from the south suburbs of Chicago who can't believe he gets to do this job every day it's a great it's a great great thing let me ask you this how do you think fatherhood has changed you oh man um well i've gained about 15 pounds yes <laughs> I, I get less sleep uh y- you look at those boys i have three boys they're 11 10 and 6 and you just you know that there is a bigger purpose in life it doesn't matter what happened at work. It doesn't matter um, whether you're f- having a good day or a bad day. You go home and those three those three guys need you, and they need you to be there and present and engaged. And I'm just blown away by how funny they are. I mean, Lawrence, you know my wife really well, and she has done an incredible job raising those three great boys. What's the next thing that you want to do? Come on the House of L podcast. You're here. You've done that. Okay. That's over with. I don't know. I kind of feel like I have my dream job right now, to be honest with you. I mean, I get to anchor a newscast and have a say in what we cover and do it with a fun, great team. We're allowed to be ourselves on the air, which is rare. Uh, And then I get to go say, hey, I'm interested in seeing the old Joliet prison. I wonder if... We can allow somebody to let us in and show people what that's like. You know, I'm allowed to do investigative stories that get on the air regardless of whether a consultant would think that would hit the target audience that we're trying to work on that day, you know. And the WGN audience is so special that it responds. I mean, nowhere else could you put a, a 9, 10, 11-minute story on the air and have people continue to watch and that that that's what happens from time to time. It's pretty remarkable. I I, I give Mark Sapelsa uh, a lot of grief. Uh, you know, he when he was still with us, he led the newscast with an eleven minute investigative story. And I said, Mark, eleven minutes really? And he's like, Yeah. And, I, and then I think, I go and look at the ratings the next day. And it held. People watched. People give them good stuff and they respond. It's a good thing. How did you feel about 
basically being the star of the WGM block party no, that went back to Homewood. No, no. You're, come on. You're, that it wasn't Robin, show, that, no, it wasn't, that it wasn't Robin who was itself. on top no, of the convertible. <laughs> that was fun, wasn't it? it was so Lawrence crazy. and I, for those of you who didn't get to see it, Lawrence and I got to, like, it was old home week. We got to go back to, because the WGN Morning News block party was in Homewood, so they took over the entire downtown area. I mean, how many people do you think were, came out for that, Lawrence? I mean, thousands. Thousands. It, I mean, and in different areas of the city, like, it was so strange mm. to to see all these people. There were the people that were exercising. There were the people who were who were just waiting for the parade to begin, and all these different groups yeah. were being able to, all of the police, all of, you know, the mayor is there, yeah. like, all of this stuff. It was so bizarre but walking through it, and I was—I love the anonymity of radio because there were people who were basically like asking me to take pictures of you and them while we were there. So there were so many people. What I loved about it, watching you, and we talked about this a little bit on the ride. Look, I—I I gladly claim Homewood Flossmoor High School as the place where my career began, mm-hmm. but I probably have a stronger attachment to the South Side and Roseland. Right. You grew up there, and there's so many people that were invested in your success. I thought when I was driving home, I, I thought about that, and I was like, man, that's great that there were people that have known you since you were a little boy that were like, man, one of our guys hmm. went out there and made it. What did that make you feel like? That was, I mean, it was awesome. It was fun. I mean, it's, it's, but but that's just because I have a job that happens to be on TV, right? There we need to remember in Roseland and wherever that happens every single day, where you know a kid is cheered on and supported, and the community is invested in that kid's success every step of the way. And you know that's 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 how it should be. So, Mister Modest. No, it's. T- Mr. Moss. All right, I'll let you I'll let you off the hook with this. I always ask my guests, what advice would you give someone who wants to follow your career path? Whatever you do, don't go into TV news because you want to be on TV. That is the worst reason ever. The job is too hard, the you know, moving away from your family and living in Ottumwa, Iowa, carrying a tripod and a camera and lights, and for ladies doing it in high heels in the snow, you know, that attending city council meetings, you know, that that all that stuff will will break you if you don't really love journalism and love the opportunity it affords to ask questions, learn stuff and share it with others. Thank you for doing this. Anytime you, you that this is you're the best. Oh, you are too nice. No, no, you're too nice. No, you're great. No, no you're, you're great. great. You're so great. I'm very fortunate to have been able to call you a friend since we were what, 14 years old? 1989. <laughs> <laughs> and we're getting old. We are getting very old. Well, you can watch Ben on Channel 9. Was it 4 o'clock? Thanks for watching. 5 o'clock? <laughs> 4 o'clock. Four, I watch. I, I, sometimes I see you. You're on later. So yeah. before 4 o'clock, along with Lourdes Duarte, who is fantastic. We both share in our admiration of Lourdes. And Ben does a great job and has done a great job for a really, really long time. Thank you, sir. Thank you.
There's a lot there to digest, man. I I really appreciate Ben being on the show. And for being on the show, we'll give him a $50 gift card to Melly Cafe. Three locations. You can go check out the one in Greektown right there on the corner of Jackson and Halstead. You can check out the location at Grand and Wells. They get a lot of beautiful sunlight if you want to go have brunch over there. Or you can go to Congress in Dearborn, and they serve breakfast, lunch, and dinner at the Congress in Dearborn location. I, I love Ben. Like, that guy is like a brother to me. He also frustrates me a lot of times like a brother, but a brother nonetheless. And hearing him talk about how to make news better was very encouraging. And I think that there are a lot of lessons to be learned in the way that we present news and the way that we look at sharing stories and the responsibility that the news media has overall. I think that we, in a lot of cases, have abdicated our responsibility on some of this stuff for you to click on something or to watch something. And I'm glad that I'm not out alone in the wilderness talking about this. And it's one of the reasons why I want to do the podcast in the first place. So you could hear how newsmakers make what their perspective is on doing the job. And none of us are perfect in in our estimation of doing it. But when you hear a guy like Ben Bradley be able to speak so eloquently about what's important in local news and national news and international news, I, I think it's a pretty cool thing. So I'm glad that you listened to it. As I said, if you got questions about the podcast, email me, houseoflpodcast at gmail.com. And it's just the L. It's not like the, the E-L. It's just houseoflpodcast at gmail.com. And hopefully my goal is for episode 11 that we get some emails that we can answer and we can really have a good time with this whole thing. It's a new element. I totally stole it from Bill Burr. And I, I, I'd like to add it by episode 11. But thank you so much for listening to episode 10. I'll, I'll do it. I'll be back next week with some great guests. Trust on that. Thanks again to Ben Bradley. Watch Ben on Channel 9 with our good friend Lourdes Duarte doing the news there at 4 o'clock. And you sometimes see him doing features all throughout the day. Glad you listened. Thanks for your support of the podcast.